0: My guest today is the principal of the law offices of Jotham Stein, PC. His name is Jotham Stein with offices in California, Illinois, and New York. For more than 20 years, his law firm has represented entrepreneurs, C-suite executives, board members, senior managers, as well as less senior employees of all types and size companies. Firm attorneys work on employment agreements, separation agreements, M&A Agreements, Change in Control Agreements, Stock Option Agreements, and much more. Jotham is the author of the legal textbook and professional guide, Executive Employment Law, Protecting Executives, Entrepreneurs, and Employees. First published by Oxford Press, now in the seventh edition with LexisNexis. In Jotham's book, Even CEOs Get Fired, he brings this wealth of experience to the general audience. This book is an engaging read meant for everyone. It provides colorful detail and great insight regarding what happens at the top of major companies, businesses, and corporations. It also provides direct and invaluable advice to people at every level of the corporate world, helping them to succeed there and protect themselves. Order your copy today at evenceosgetfired.com. Now sit back and enjoy this very educational episode with Mr. Jotham Stein. Jotham Stein, welcome so much. I'm glad you joined me on the podcast. I'm looking forward to this. I don't do a lot of things that dig deep into legal conversations, So this is going to be very educational for me and I know for my audience as well. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me on your show, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna definitely talk about your new book, which is Even CEOs Get Fired, which is very interesting because I've been a CEO my whole life. So it's kind of scary to think about that I would get fired from my own company. First, get a little backstory about you. From the interviews that I've heard, I know that you and I are both New Yorkers. So I grew up a couple hours north of New York City and you grew up on Long Island, if if I remember correctly, is that true? That's true. I'm a proud
1: graduate of Saucet High School, Saucet, Long Island, New York. It's in Nassau County, sort of almost all the way to Suffolk, north, north, closer to the North Shore than the South Shore, but pretty much in the middle.
0: Great. And do you still get back there? Or are you, you're not there, right? You Do you live in California now?
1: Yes, I live in Half Moon Bay, California,
0: three blocks from the beach. So uh,
1: when I was growing up in high school, I used to love to go to the beach. That's where you go, you know, all the time. in uh Jones Beach, Tobey Beach, uh, those yeah. beaches. Even um, um, Robert Moses State Park on Fire Island. You go there too. Now I live three blocks from the Pacific
0: Ocean. And have that's, been that's awesome. I saw Kiss at Jones Beach. Of all, Kiss and Aerosmith all in one night. In one night, wow! One I think, night. That amphitheater there, like <laughs> yeah. in the bay. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I where I went to college, I went to New York State University and pretty much the entire university was Long Island residents. So I have a bunch of friends that live out on Long Island. So it's near and dear to my heart. Can you give me a little backstory about you, like how you decided to get into law? You know, just I, I like my audience to know who you are and we just don't launch into like who you are now. It's interesting to know the person and then we get into what's going on today. So
1: uh, after high school, I went to college at Princeton um, in New Jersey and uh, I was actually interested in public policy. So one of the things people who are interested in public policy do is they go to law school. So I wound up, I'd never really been to California but only one time in my life. So I was fortunate enough. I applied to California schools, got into Stanford and, um, and I went to a law school out at Stanford which is right in Silicon Valley as it turns out. So, got out of um, of Stanford, and I went to work for the big Silicon Valley law firm for two years. Uh, you know, the firm that probably I think started Apple or famous in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I had anything to do with Apple, but but I went to work for that law firm for, for a couple of years, um, and then uh, left and uh, uh, you know traveled the world. I hitchhiked around quite a bit. Um, I've been in quite a few countries, and then I uh, eventually hung out my own shingle um, in uh, Silicon Valley and. Uh, people knew that I was, I started out in litigation, meaning when people are individuals or companies sue each other. But after a while, um, a lot of the local lawyers figured out that, uh, that I could probably write a contract to uh, protect people as best you can from getting into lawsuits. So that's how it started. And um, eventually uh, I'm an entrepreneurial myself. So I, I like meeting a lot of entrepreneurs and executives and people. So I'm a lawyer that has a lot of people as clients real people that have different issues. And so uh, I like meeting them and all. And eventually when you start doing a good job with one entrepreneur, they refer you to other entrepreneurs, lawyers refer you to other entrepreneurs. I ran an advertisement I talk about in my book, even CEOs get fired, which is sort of named after an advertisement I ran 20 odd years ago in a no longer existent uh, magazine called Red Herring, which in those days was the hot Silicon Valley magazine. And it was titled even CEOs get fired. And you would not believe who called me off this advertisement because people have all sorts of problems at employment at every level. My book is for everybody from the entry level individual to um, you know the mid-level manager to the CEO. And um, all those people called me um, off that ad. And, um, and one thing led to another. And here I am now, I, I know a lot about Protecting executives, entrepreneurs, uh, mid-level um, employees, um, starting out employees, somebody with a, a, a new business, and so forth. Um, so that's a, that's the background.
0: Perfect. And so I noticed that you have not one but three offices. That's true? Do. That is true. Wow. Um, so how do I, you can ask me how I wind up uh, having three offices? Well, because so, you know it's it's like uh, I know even when you were with. David Meltzer on that interview, it was like, I, you know, what was the first thing that came to your mind when you said, hey, I'm going to break out on my own, get out of the, the safety net of working at a firm, right? You don't have to think about much of anything, but what you're responsible to do. But then you break out, you open up not only one office, but you have three offices. So I was looking going, okay, man, he really went for it. So uh, this, the story of those offices, of course, that might
1: Long time office has always been in Silicon Valley in, in Palo Alto. Uh, although these days with COVID, you know, you, you can work anywhere. It could work anywhere anyway when you represent entrepreneurs, because entrepreneurs do not care where you are in the world as long as you're giving them excellent advice. And, uh, and many of them won't even come to visit me in my Palo Alto office because time is money. They'd rather be doing whatever they're good at, whether mobile games, whether it's biopharmacy, but it's Wi Fi, whatever it's security, whatever they're great at, they don't want to come visit their lawyer. Um, maybe once, so um, um, I could really work anywhere. But I had an office in, I now have an office in Chicagoland, outside of the Chicago suburbs, uh, in part because I lived there. um, uh, And I can say that living uh, near Lake Michigan and that area and those lakes out there is not the same as living by the ocean. If you grow up on Long Island by the ocean, and it has to smell like salt. So (laughs) uh, I now moved back to California. And I have an office in New York uh, on Long Island uh, as well, and that's actually because uh, you're supposed to have an office in New York if you practice law in New York. And I'm licensed in New York and Illinois and in California, Colorado and uh, in the District of Columbia. So that's Perfect. All, that.
0: all right. Well, good. Can I um, can I break down what your firm and what you do? Like, what's the specialty? before we get into talking more about the book? The good thing is it's going to really help you,
1: if uh, you know, as a CEO, but it's also a, a breezy read. This is easy to read, and in the story, in the book, um, uh, about 40% of the book is, fit. there are 59 stories there, um, you know, that are fictional. They're, re- they're repetitive stories. They're genres of stories that happen, but they're not um, any specific story. I made them up, actually, to Pete's Coffee in Half Moon Bay here. I wrote, the, I wrote all of those there, and so... Um, you might find out, Hey, that happened to me or, or it happened to somebody I know. Um, but it's, cause it's a kind of repetitive story that happens. So it'll be a really easy read for you. Um, you can read it on a plane. You can read it uh, on a train. You can read it at your house. You can read it on the beach, uh, wh- wherever, or you can read it, you know, looking for very straightforward advice about how to negotiate a contract and how to protect yourself.
0: I think it gets confusing with people who don't understand the law and don't understand when they might need an attorney and when they don't. What would you say if you had to put down the bullet points of what your firm does, what do you specialize in? So if somebody said, hey, they hear this and then they eventually see this YouTube video, they say, man, that's one of those is exactly what I need. And they reach out to your firm. So it'd be nice if we we knew exactly what you could help a CEO with or someone who is working for a company at a high level, a C-level position, um, any of that. So the first thing I have
1: to do is be technical here and say that um, in California, you can't say you specialize in something. You have to say you focus on it. Uh, that's some ethical obligation. So I don't want to mess it up for anybody who's from California listening to this. Uh, so what we focus on, I guess, is I've got I've to turn that question around on you just to say that. Sorry about that. No, that's stuff. perfect. Um, you know, every every state has their own bloody rules. And so I, gotta, <laughs> I pay attention to 100%. And so I want to make sure it's it's focused. So what we do is what if you want one word is we help individual whether they're the whoever they are to protect themselves in the employment and personal relationships. So it could be a relationship with your boss, could be a relationship with your company, could be a relationship with your investors. That's typically what we do. So uh, and we represent actually in their individual world, we even represent investors, professional investors like private equity Partners at private equity companies; those are the venture cap or venture capitalists. We represent venture capitalists, typically in their own deals. So when they're protecting themselves, when they're doing deals with uh, other venture capitalists, for example. So with a CEO, for example, we would they give us their contracts, and they say, "Well, we should should we sign this?" And I say, "Well, are you protected? Are you protected in your severance? Do you have a professional what we call I call a pre- professional prenuptial agreement, which is nothing more." Um, Than a severance agreement negotiated on day one. So for the executive, that may be you know severance and equity protection, maybe protection for cobra payments down the road. Uh, for an individual like an engineer just starting out, if they have any leverage at all, and honestly, many don't. But if they do, um, a one-line sentence: If you fire me without cause, you vest me six months of stock, and and you pay me three months of pay, um, for example. Um, And so that's what we do. Um, Those kinds of contracts can be um, not just employment like you're thinking about, but they could be equity contracts. So how not to, for an entrepreneur, how not to get screwed by your own investors for yourself. It's your own company. Let's say, let's just say you, Joe, take in capital. Investors, you have an investor, right? So they invest in your company. Suddenly they have 20% of your company, suddenly you have 30% of your company. How do you, Joe, as a CEO, protect yourself vis-a-vis those investors? Now, like I said, sometimes those investors, the professional investors come to us because they want to be protected against their own investors when they do a deal. So um with their own investors. So what they are doing is becoming limited, they're becoming general partners or having some sort of arrangement. So we review contracts and give straightforward advice about how to protect yourself and, and, and honestly, um, what the risks are if you don't, because people in business take risks all the time. You as a CEO have to be taking risks in your business. So you need to be fully informed about that. And um, so that's what we do on the individual level. We do represent companies as well. Um, and and we uh, see our, some of our CEO clients have, have us, for example, representing their company, because they thought we did a good job mm-hmm. uh, for them individually. So we do a lot of that also on the separation side too. And I've described the employment side, protecting protecting the CEO like your question was on the, on the front end, but the back end is we help negotiate separation agreements all the time so that somebody has sort of a smooth landing and can then professionally reincarnate themselves.
0: So I used to share office space with a, uh, what would they're called a, a placement agency, right? They were finding jobs for people. Right. And some of these jobs would, would be at a high level and, okay. you know, really large, fairly large salaries. If the negotiation of that employment is is carried through the placement agency with the people at the company that are hiring, and all of that stuff gets done, how can someone fit in someone like you or your firm in the middle of that negotiation and make sure before anything gets signed and they get employed that they've been taken care of. So uh, That's it's, kind of tricky, right?
1: It's, it, it's, it's very tricky because the employment agency is working for the company and the employment agency typically gets paid only when the person is placed. So the employment agency has a very, uh, that's not always true. Some employment agencies get paid a straight salary or commission or something, not not per person. They're just given a job or a project. But often, they only they only succeed if they place the person. All right. So uh, if you're talking on a lower level of employee going in at a company, um, they often don't want to take the risk of going to get a lawyer um, because I could create a real problem, frankly, in getting their job. If you're talking about a senior executive being placed by a price agency, then it's there. To, the really best placement agencies that really care about their client that they're placing, even though they represent the company will say go get a lawyer. but almost all of them do not even at the highest level. So it's incumbent on the on the on the executive, whoever they are uh, or entrepreneur, but in this case an employment agency is going to be executive um, to go and to say uh, get get their lawyer. So once they get a lawyer involved, then the employment agency sort of out, um, on the outside and it's a negotiation between the executive and the company and using us often as shadow counsel. So we don't even appear until the end to work on the contract. But um, you know, if you're going into if you're a senior, senior level person, you want to know what your downside risks are, what your recommendations are from, from somebody who's seen it hundreds and hundreds
0: of times, maybe a thousand times before. So for someone that's listening to this that is at that level, that hasn't thought about that step back for a moment, take what you've been offered, find someone like your law firm and say, I need you to review this contract to to make sure it's in my best interest so that once I sign, I'm being taken care of while I'm there and I have some sort of exit strategy that makes sense, that's fair on the way out. Absolutely, 100%.
1: I couldn't have said it better myself. Wow. uh... I'm learning already. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's great. You're learning. And uh, uh, it's just to maximize their return. The person right. that's listening to the podcast, so they want to maximize their return, why in the world would they sign a contract without being fully informed? And the only way to be fully informed is to come to someone like myself who's done it hundreds of times. I can tell you, we've had the most shrewd executives, some that have been so successful in their lives. And they come to us after they get screwed and they say, Well, what happened? And, and I say, Well, if you talk with me before you sign the contract, Either you wouldn't have negotiated this term and you would have protected yourself, or you would have said, you know, Jotham, um, uh, thank you very much for that great advice. I'm gonna take the risk. I hope I don't call you to tell me, to tell
0: me, meaning Jotham, the right. person that, that you told me so. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, let's take me for example, as a CEO of a company, and like I had mentioned, I have I've had three or four companies up till now. Do you if would I ever come to you and say, I need help protecting my personal assets. I need some way for you to look at my business and look at my personal assets to make sure that as as an LLC, which I am, I'm an LLC with S Corp, you know, on the tax side, am I protecting myself? Is that another thing that you would help someone do or that's just different? That's a different- Um that's actually a complicated question.
1: So I'd certainly read the operating agreement because uh, many, many um, people um, start, it depends on how you're asking the question. I guess it's all context dependent. If you're asking me, how can I set up a corporate formation that I'll best protect myself with trusts and estates, I'm not the person to do trusts and estates, right? We, we, we send that out to lawyers we know all the time. That's a special area if you want to set up a, like I said, a trust in estate, and lawyers in the legal world, they call that trust in estates law. All right. If you come to me and say, how best can I protect myself in the corporate world by setting up an LLC? We certainly could set up an LLC I've done that. We also work with other firms, I give advice all the time to our entrepreneurial clients. I mean, I'm like a secretary or just just um, have been secretaries of companies before for our clients, but we might work with, um, with uh, another law firm uh, if, for example, they had doing a sophisticated securities transaction by selling stock or something. But um, so we can we give advice on that. And at some point, we'll stop and say, no, you need somebody else. Uh, If you're if you're talking about how you, Joe, um, who has an LLC, can protect yourself vis-a-vis other investors or vis-a-vis partners, you might have strategic strategic partners or even vendors or contractors. um, Yes, we do that all the time. Then you would come to me. So basically, we have client exactly like you're describing. Somebody who just starts a business, who's been a serial entrepreneur, and they get most of their advice from us. And we say no, we're not giving you advice. For example, tax law. I never give advice on tax. Right? I know the lawyers who give the advice, but and I recommend our clients that to that. But I have the, I have clients who want me to give them advice on tax law, and I'm like, absolutely not. Let me let me let me tell you where to go. And 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 you know most most people who are in business and. And our, uh, we'll say, okay, well, if my lawyer is telling me he's not the right person, um, we find them the right person. That's just an example. So, your question sort of um, involved a, a number of possibilities. And sure. without
0: knowing the facts, I can't really answer it 100%. But yeah, you know, and I'm just trying to drive to the fact that if I was listening, to, like I listen to podcasts in the gym, and things will pop out during. An episode where I'll say, oh, that is something I've been thinking about or something I need an answer for. So I'm trying to make sure that everyone knows who's listening to this and eventually will watch it, know the things that you can do for them in case something pops up. So I'm trying to ask the questions that if I was listening to this, I wonder if he can do this for me. It's that kind of thing. I'm just trying to make sure that if there's something you can do, I want people to know you can do it for them.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you want to start a business, we do that. You want to get investment, we protect you. You want to do employment uh, work on any level, we can help you protect yourself. You got a strange sort of um, possibility for your next job, for your next business deal. Um, you come to us; we give you straightforward advice, and that's really the be- we. And we give great business advice as well as great legal advice. Um, as you'll see, if you when you read the book, even CEOs get fired. Half of our work is is that. So, in other words, um, since we've seen so many different possibilities, my uh, people in the gym don't uh, not going to see that I don't have any hair on my head. <laughs> people on your YouTube channel will, but but uh, you know, I've seen. All these, all so many different uh, possibilities that go right and that go wrong, and and sometimes they go right. The person's third uh, third business, they fail business one, they fail business two, they reincarnate, and and they and they maximize their returns and they make it on the third go. But we have lots of the people sitting there doing the uh, on the bikes, in the gym, and maybe on the rowing machine. I was an old rower, so to do the rowing machine. Um, you know. Just because it's, they've succeeded twice before and they're going to their third job doesn't mean that they don't have tremendous pitfalls in their deal, whether it's their equity deal or whether it's their employment deal, whatever the deal is. Whether it's a deal to, to have uh, you know uh, um, perks, for example, uh, cars, for example, to drive around in, doesn't mean that because you've been okay the first two times, there isn't some gigantic problem um, that might rear its ugly head the third time around. So. Um, if you're going in as an entrepreneur um, to a company or starting a company or if you're an executive or anybody with leverage in employment, it, it's always a question, do you spend money on a lawyer? But if you want to protect yourself or want to see what your downside risks are, want to be fully informed, want to have either the opportunity to maximize your personal returns, whatever they are, or, or know that you're taking risks in that attempt to maximize them, um, you would come to me or my law firm or or, or a lawyer who does uh, similar type work in wherever the person lives.
0: Great. Okay. So to lighten things up a little bit. <laughs> okay. So I I thought about this when I heard you talk about there's 59 fictional stories. They're, they're actually they're real circumstances, but you've you've obviously protected the people by not naming names and naming companies or whatever, right? So is that what you mean by it? Those 59 things are actual things that occurred. But you just created them to not name companies or names or anything specific. Uh, more like um, they're not they're not individual to any
1: individual story I've had. It just happens so many times over and over again, um, and so uh, it's like. Okay, I get something that happens, a entrepreneur walks in and I'm like, okay, this is like 16 other times it's happened. It's <laughs> new to the entrepreneur, but it, to me, it's happened a lot of times before. So uh, w- w- that's what I mean by it's fictional, but it's based on my experience. Mm-hmm. So I literally wrote them at a Pete's Coffee,
0: right? And right. so, uh, um, I, mean, I mean, let me take one for example. Yeah, um, I was gonna ask, you, I said, I was gonna put you on the spot and say, I love stories, so I need you to tell us one. Okay, so there's one in my book, I actually spoke just briefly about it with uh,
1: David Meltzer. Uh, It's one I like. Okay, here's a perfect example. There's a very successful woman um, as a uh, number two at the company, essentially. She is also a biathlete. So I like athletics. I never did biathlon, but it's people who do cross-country skiing and shoot at targets, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. She's very successful. Uh, She has a doctor. She's a doctor, but like some doctors that you never think about, they go into business, right? All these biopharma companies, a lot of these are MDs. They've never actually practiced, but I have clients who've never, I have clients who are MDs that practice and those that never practice, they get their degree and they go right into business. So this this, uh, character goes into business and her CEO, she's doing really well after four years of this company and her CEO gets changed out. He, the, the prior CEO has to leave. This happens all the time. New CEO comes in, and um, this character is as good, as honest as the day is long, and the new CEO wants a yes person. So, you, you, you know, yes man, a yes woman, and she is not a yes woman um, at all, and so uh, he decides he's going to push her out, okay? This happens all the time, so he makes her life miserable, But being a biathlete who's well-trained, she's she's able to, uh, stays there and continues to work. Um, Like we see so many of our executives and entrepreneurs. They think because They work harder and they do a better job that the board and the CEO are going to somehow like them more. And that's not the way it works if somebody who wants a yes person wants to get rid of you. So or in a different world, um, very similar uh, uh, corollary genre, new CEO comes in, wants to bring on their own team. They're going to fire people below them. And the literature is actually you should do it within 60 or 90 days. So it doesn't matter how good those people are. Anyway, uh, she's a straight shooter, that's what I say in the story, right? She's a straight shooter at 200 yards shooting <laughs> a rifle, <laughs> and she's a straight shooter to the CEO, and the CEO finally can't take it anymore, and he fires her, okay? He, he he gets the board to approve. The board votes five nothing to fire her after nine months. Maybe it's maybe I don't even have my story right. Maybe it's 10 months, maybe it's seven months, but it's something like that. Mm-hmm. This happens all the time. I've never had a biathlete as a client. I, I've always admired biathletes when I watched them on TV. I did spend time in Lake Placid while I was uh, doing luge, a different sport. Oh, nice. So yeah, I could talk about that. Anyway, so what's the story? So this whole thing's whole made up. But what happens after she's now out of, she gets a severance agreement. She leaves. She's at the firing range, practicing at 200 yards, and she gets a text. She, who's he getting a text from? She's getting a text from the investor of that company who sat on the board, who voted to fire her, it was five nothing, remember? OK, the investor says, as so often happens in Silicon Valley and entrepreneurial world, the investor says, essentially, this is all by text now. So I'm, I'm paraphrasing my own writing. So I'm now also <laughs> paraphrasing what I wrote. And the investor says, well, why don't you look at two of my other portfolio companies? All right, And, and she texts back, the character texts back to the investor and says, well, I don't understand. I got a great sevens agreement. You fired me, vote was five, nothing. Why are you contacting me? And he says, well, it didn't work out so well at the other company, but one of my portfolio companies here might be a better fit. Okay, so that's a story that's happened multiple times in mm-hmm. Silicon Valley, multiple times in the entrepreneurial world. I have no, th- that's what I mean, I created them. That's a genre of a story. So I could have a client come in today after our podcast, they could tell me a similar story and, I, and I'd say, don't burn the bridges with those people sitting on the board that you all Those board members almost always invest in startup, not always, but almost always back the CEO until the day they fire the CEO. But you've just been fired, you're the EVP or the SVP or the VP, whoever you are. That board member sitting there who's a shrewd investor, the only thing they care about really is all of their other portfolio companies are taken care of, right? And so they may call you to, to offer you a job. Um, so you don't know that. So what, and the story comes in, in a part of the book, um, which I guess I should show again, absolutely uh, get fired. There's a chapter on professional reincarnation. So, uh, and this happens all the time too. somebody just like this character gets fired. And so they reincarnate themselves in the next job. That's a very, very, very common circumstance. Um, I often have clients that it's a terrible separation they're having like this particular executive. We I described in my story, nine months of being beat on. I mean, it's a miserable place to work, but a lot of these a lot of these people soldier on they've always been they, they think that if they work harder it's going to get better and off, often it doesn't and um, but i often tell people six months later you're going to call me and tell me it's the best thing that ever happened to you you got fired right. and, and many of them if they have protection you know they uh, they they call me six months later and they say hey it's the best thing that ever happened to me i got fired i have a better job i have a better life at home whatever it is i'm 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 doing sports more often uh, i'm getting paid more i get better equity whatever.
0: Right. So there was two takeaways from that story for me. One was that potentially that smart woman had you look at their contract. And so when they did finally get removed from the CEO position, they walked away with a nice severance package. and didn't have to fight to get anything. And the second thing that you mentioned was that they left in good terms, at least with the board, which showed that they could then potentially get more opportunities down the road by not having this giant blow up at the end of it. So the, um,
1: I should say, uh, with what you just said, the second one is absolutely true. And there's a part in my story where I talk about burning bridges. And you should, and, and I say, listen, sometimes it's the best thing personally, mentally to burn <laughs> the bridge. Strike back. Okay, I got that. But I, I, what I talk about in the book and what I, I try to tell all my clients and the people on the podcast that are listening, do everything in business coldly and calculatingly. If you're going to lose your crap in somebody and you're going to start yelling at them because they fired you and you're never going to talk to them again, that's fine. But what I say is do it coldly and calculatingly, at least understand what you're doing. So in this this case, and and what I often talk about in the book is the character did not burn their bridges. It's true. They left, um, the first part of your, what you took away was that they had come to us for a uh, employment agreement. Actually, in this case, uh, two things. One is they got a great separation agreement. Even with the person who didn't like them and forced them out, they got a good separation agreement, so they negotiated that on the back end. And the other thing I should say is, um, as I say in the book, I, I am not in the stories. It- it's modeled after the advice I would give, but I'm not in the stories because the story is totally fictional. But um, it's as important to get a good separation agreement and be professional on the back end as it is to get an employment agreement on the front end.
0: So this has been bothering me. Why, why did you stop at 59 and not go to 60? Or why did you go past 55 to 59? <laughs> <laughs> the,
1: the, the truthful answer is I didn't count them up until the end. So I didn't <laughs> know what, how many I wrote. Uh, okay. But there is a, there is a story. Uh, there's uh, two stories in my acknowledgements, um, one with a colleague who's worked with my law firm a long time, I I thank her for reading many versions of the book and I tell a story there. And once for the four people I dedicated the book to, I tell the last story in the book. Um, And that actually involves for a Long Island guy, um, going to the beach, uh, Jones Beach. um, And
0: uh, so it could be 61. Perfect. (laughs) Okay. I just, it was something that I wanted to ask, so I just. so with the way the world has changed it, actually, let me let me back up. In the dot-com era, right? The, the bubble, like when everything was all about equity, how right. much has that changed now f- from, because I remember when that was going on, like I, I literally, this is gonna be funny, you're gonna, but when I was working for a software company before I opened my first company, and I was working in New York, we were actually teaching corporations how to use a web browser because I was literally at the beginning of the okay. internet, right? <laughs> so, so I remember just companies starting and going, come in and work with us. The pay is going to be low to nothing, but we're going to give you equity in the company. And it was just all over the place. Every company was giving shares away, right? That's the, that was that whole era of the dot-com portion of the world. Right. How has that changed now? It's exactly back to the way it was. Really? And, uh, absolutely. Uh,
1: there are uh, hundreds and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people running around in Silicon Valley and elsewhere. Remember, I have license. I'm licensed <laughs> to practice in multiple states, so we have clients all over the country. They want equity. It's all about an equity play now. Having said that, there are many, many companies who don't really give equity to anybody but their senior officers. And there's many places in, in our country in America where um, you only get a salary. Uh, and there are many many kinds of uh, many salespeople who care about equity, but mostly what they want is commissions. And for example, an uncapped commission plan would be be their golden. You know, golden goose. They don't want to have equity. But if you're talking about the old dot com days, because I was there then too. (laughs) And now, if if, there are many people whose deals is all about an equity play, they get less pay than they could on the market for whatever they're doing. They take the risks, and um, and and often, especially for those starting out, just coming out of college, they may go to two or three startups, which will fail, and then the fourth or fifth one is the one that gives them, you know, a tremendous upside, so they can go buy their next their house or. Or their house and multiple houses, whatever it is. So right. it's it's really the same as it was when you were doing the in the dot com era.
0: Was it, was there a lull at one point after the dot com where everyone felt so burned about equity and all of that that for a while it wasn't even on the table? Or, I, I no, or there not? was
1: a yeah, there was like a it never went away for everybody, but yes, there was definitely a period of time when equity. I remember the stock market was in that it was way down. And there weren't so many IPOs, and and people wanted now it was all about salary, even if for the startups or upside bonus upsides, if you did a good job after a year, even though you got a lower salary. So it did, it did the desire for equity and equity plays slackened. I would absolutely say that there was like a trough, you know, it were like, like this, but now it's back to the way it was, um, in my view. And um, it's that way, not just for the entry level person coming out of college uh, who wants to get some equity at a company, and not just for the mid-level individual who's moving from one company to another, but also all the way up to the CEOs who want more equity and and, um, and they'll give up salary or bonuses. Now at the largest companies that you hear about, the Fortune 100 companies, those executives are getting equity and very high pay, so, and bonuses and what's called um, LTIP, long-term incentive plans. Uh, so it depends on where you're, what you're talking about, what company context you're talking about, what region in the country. But in right. terms of um, the startups of the world, the smaller companies of the world, the equity play for everybody um, from from the person who, who takes out the garbage all the way to the CEO. It's 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 the way it was.
0: That's incredible, and you would see a lot of that where you are in Palo Alto and where you're, you know, Silicon Valley, right here. All the
1: time. And all when the you time. Talk- All the time. And when you talk about that, if you're getting stock at a company um, um, and and it means a lot to you, um, you better figure out or you should figure out um, how to protect yourself with that stock. So for example, um, many times companies give out shares over four years, let's say, or five years, they vest over time. And in the first year, they have what's called a cliff. So you vest no stock, you don't get any stock, no right to stock until the end of a year. What happens if you're fired at 11 months and 30 days just before the year? Mm-hmm. The contract says you get nothing. So, do you want to protect yourself against that possibility? Because that happens a lot, right? Crazy.
0: Wow. All right. So, I grew up in a large Italian family that owned a restaurant business. Okay. And I literally, yeah, I, partnerships for me make me cringe just the just the word makes me cringe and and i saw my own internal family fight and i saw my my father who has since passed my his brother is still living but i saw that literally just separate and not talk to each other for years and the rest of the family hating each other so that's just the lead into the question of Partnerships. Is there a part in the book? Again, the book is even CEOs get fired. Is there a part in that book that talks about partnerships and talks about what to look for, red flags, things that that seem to always go wrong in partnerships, any of that sort of advice? So there's a little bit, but it does not heavily
1: focused on partnerships because, uh, but, but the teachings in the book on how to protect yourself, maximize your returns, put everything in a clear contract. That's very clear. There's two sort of parts of the Italian family having the restaurant business and then a fight among family members. Okay. Um, and, 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 and that is discussed in the book in a different way, which is, you know, make sure you know who you're going into business with. But part of the problem is I can't protect you. From a fight among man, family members who were fighting for many other reasons and historical reasons, right? I mean, they just weren't family members in the business. They had had a family history, right? They grew up mm-hmm. together. They had uncles and aunts and grandparents, and so that's that's a personal um, um, sort of a, a personal concern. Those pe- that's that that a lawyer can't help you with. Although we turn out being a lay psychologist all the time, so we might have been able to help. For example, somebody comes to us, and this happens all the time two Partners are fighting, and we say, Well, why are you fighting? You know, maybe it's better you break up and 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 before you have a fight about this. Do you really want to sue each other? Because you wouldn't believe some of the lawsuits that are fought between family members or former friends. It's terrible. Well, um, yeah, and I
0: was gonna say this was a push out. My father got pushed out. So this was a thing where he worked there all the helped build this business his entire life. And in the end, this coup happened and he got pushed out. So
1: the worst part of those kinds of push ups that happens, and I'll tell you a little, another one of my stories that, that repeats itself all the time. Uh, the, pro- the worst problem of those stories that, that I hear about, you're telling me about, is the personal the personal suffering, right? With getting, getting kicked out of your own family business, um, getting stabbed in the back by your own brother or mm-hmm. uncle. That worst part of that isn't the financial loss, although that can be terrible. The worst part is the personal loss. Uh, and the personal relationships that are lost and the suffering that happens on a personal level that um, um, sometimes people need psychologists for that to help them there rather than a lawyer. The second part of that is the financial potential loss that we could have helped them protect themselves uh, because if you have a contract and we've had some of these where nobody can fire the other person contractually, you can't fire them so they have to do a deal or in a, in a, in a typical family situation, if somebody passes you have a buy sell agreement. Uh, but imagine having a contract and we've had these with really sophisticated investors so imagine th- like you imagine whoever pushed out your dad um ha- not having the legal right to do that contract says the business is 50-50 in one side or even the contract could say uncle gets 70% of the business I get 30% of the business but you can't fire me and you got to keep paying me or well if you fire me at least you got to you got to continue to pay me my exact same salary with a cola cost of living increase you know there are mm-hmm. ways to help to, to, to make sure that it's negotiated out um, as opposed to a coup. Um, now, the story, you want to hear the story from the book? That's a Totally. One. All right. The, the repetitive story that happens a lot, and, and again, the worst is just like your dad, the worst is the personal cost, is the person who gets, um, the entrepreneur who gets stabbed in the back and is forced out of their own business, um, the palace coup the, the leader, or not necessarily always the leader, but the, the the person who's following along and joining that palace coup, is a person who stood up at their wedding, and the wrongdoer is the person who stood up in the wedding. And so, when the client comes to me with this story, and it's happened many times, multiple times over the years, and uh, uh, the worst thing you feel most terrible about is the client here who's now t- telling me this story. They made a, a lifetime of decisions to have the wrongdoer stand up at their wedding and they believe that that person was their loyal friend and the destruction of that friendship and, and, the, and the new client's recognition that they got it wrong on a personal level, that's even worse than the, the financial cost. And the financial cost can be great. Being stabbed in the back by the person who stood up at your wedding stories, they only happen when money becomes involved. And in the startup world, it's usually when equity suddenly becomes, it goes from a penny a share and suddenly it's worth $50 a share or $20 a share. And by the way, unfortunately, I have to report that the wrongdoer can be a bridesmaid just as much as it can
0: be a bridesmaid. <laughs> wow. OK, so here's the question I have based on the circumstance we just talked about with my father and having that business. And it goes for any any business. If you start to think something's going bad, is it too late then to try to figure out a way to protect yourself? Maybe. But the first thing you should do if you, get, if you get concerned
1: that something is going wrong is not wait around. It's go find a lawyer who knows what to do and might be able to help you. So this is something I do talk about in the book. Um, if you get a lawyer while the things are going wrong a- and he or she acts as your shadow counsel, they can often help you, uh, first of all, react in a, an appropriate way, in a way that protects yourself, maximize your protection while things are going downhill. But for example, in the email wars um, uh, that might happen where somebody else is trying to paper a file and, and you know something's wrong, but you don't know what they're doing, mm-hmm. you can paper that file to protect yourself. Um, and, and so uh, that that's really important. Since actually what you just described, um, I've had that on my website, my, my my professional website, which is not, the book's website is evenceosgetfire.com. So Perfect. I was hoping you would say that. Yeah, even see it's it's one word. Even CEOs get fired.com. Perfect. But even before that, I had a professional website. Being in Silicon Valley very early on, and it talked about exactly what you just described. Is you feel something's going wrong in business, in your job, in a relationship with an investor, um, whatever it is, call an experienced lawyer. Not necessarily your the, your friend, the lawyer. Not necessarily the person who did your your will or your trust. Somebody who does entrepreneurial and executive law. Um, and they've seen it before and they can give you really good advice. Um, And you can really keep yourself from being
0: really financially harmed if you do that. And and when something like that happens, like my my brain initially went to, okay, if I felt something was going wrong and I was in a partnership or some sort, not even a partnership, but any circumstance where there are other people involved, because I'm lucky in my case, it's just me, right? So I don't have to deal with anything. But if I was in that circumstance, do you have to get the other party to sign? Like if, if I came to you and said, Listen, something's going wrong. I need to start protecting myself. We need to write up some documents. Are they not official till the other party has seen them or signed them? Huh. Now you've asked me a complex question. Good. Uh, well, there we go. Uh, you could have an oral contract,
1: right? Many okay. people have oral contracts. You could have a, an oral contract evidenced by a course of business, doing business. So I'd really have to know more. That's something, the first thing we ever do when somebody comes with a, sto- uh, a, a sort of a fact pattern, you just asked me is we want a full chronology of events. Um, so if you come to a lawyer who's seen a lot of it before, they'll be able to figure out, you know, where you might have protection because you have an oral contract, for example, as, as one example, um, because the other side hasn't doesn't have anything writing, even though they're trying to force you out. Um, but I sort of want to go back, if I can, to your father getting pushed out, if that's mm-hmm. all right. Like, yeah. I don't know what happened. I, I never heard about it until you just told me told me now, but it, 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 it's likely that your father groused a lot and was worried about it with his own family um, and, and, and didn't do what I just described, which is go find a lawyer who's shrewd and, um, and maybe able to help him protect himself from the palace coup that, that happened. And so uh, it happens even in, in small family business you don't announce i'm going to a lawyer you go to a lawyer and you and the and you and you tell them the fact pattern if they're good they'll give you advice and some of the advice might be don't tell me you have a lawyer right just go along you know when to disclose you have a lawyer is is, is a business decision and you want to maximize your return when you do that so Now that I went back to your father, I might have forgot what you just asked me. So, if I have not answer the question,
0: no, that's okay. I just I didn't. uh, You you alluded to the fact that it could be uh, an oral contract. I didn't even know there was such thing. I thought that in the eyes of the law, everything had to be written and signed. So I don't know what you mean by an oral agreement. So so uh, okay. Because you have listeners, I assume, across the country,
1: I I have to say, I'm not giving specific legal advice just so they understand. Every jurisdiction is different. And if you happen to live in Alaska or Louisiana, uh, particularly Louisiana, it's really different. So, uh, you know, if you're in North Dakota listening to this or you're in Illinois or wherever you're listening, uh, you have to go see somebody in your own, wherever you are, your own fancy words, jurisdiction, state, whatever. But in most places, there, an oral contract is e- equally as enforceable as a written contract. If two people come to a meeting of the minds, literally, about a contract and there's consideration, uh, and it's oral, depending on what the form of the contract is, um, you can have an enforceable contract. Now, there, are, in every state, there are certain contracts that can't be formed orally. A classic example in many places is you can't have a contract for land that's oral. But in, in most other places an all contract is as enforceable as a written contract, actually. Now a written contract is easier to sort of prove in some ways, because you have it in writing and you if you ever have to go to a judge or a jury, you put the thing up on the screen and it says, Look, you signed it and there <laughs> right, it is. Right. But um, it's equally enforceable. Um, depending, you know, there are always limitations on oral contracts at every state might be a little different, but Absolutely. And so then there are other f- fancy things in the law, oral contract evidenced by writing. So, uh, you know, if you can prove it, you have an oral contract and then you sent an email and that's your writing. So that might be a little different. An oral contract uh, evidenced by a course of dealing. We always did this for the last 10 years. So that shows that we had an oral contract to always do this in the future. That's a possibility too. So now I recommend in the, in the, in the, in my book, even CEOs get fired. You you sign clear written agreements because that reduces your chances of getting into a fight, right? If it's in writing and it's clear, even if the other side's a wrongdoer, um, you know it's clear they realized they're going to try to work around the clear language, and and or what happens often in business if you have a really clear contract and they don't want you, they buy you out. The <laughs> classic example being a separation agreement. They, they fire you, but they give you a good a good um, you know exit package.
0: Well wow, so I had no idea so that it's it's a huge light bulb went off that I thought if it wasn't written and it wasn't signed if both parties didn't sign it and both attorneys didn't review it it doesn't if it's not down in writing and signed it doesn't exist so this uh, is
1: if you've had a meeting of the minds, so so typically, the kind of contract you're talking about in writing, where it goes back and forth, back and forth with the lawyers and everybody, there is no meeting of the minds until the contract is signed. But you know, now you're going to think about this, wow, have I ever had an oral contract with somebody else who might have something against me? So right. yeah, yeah, sure, it could happen. So perfect. I'll give you an example in your business. You're a CEO of your own companies. Sure. Uh, imagine you, uh, I don't know, you You met a successful person and you said, hey, I'll give you 25% of my business if, if you tell me how to increase my market share, I'm using that as an example, mm-hmm. by uh, by 150% in the next two months. And that person then connects you, uh, uh, they connect you with, I don't know, the great guru of market share, <laughs> and, and suddenly in, an, in a month, you've, you've increased your market share by one and a half times, you might owe them 20% of your business, as an example. Yeah keep you from going out and making those promises. So wow. the, if, if you make an oral promise, if you promise somebody something and they're giving you something back, I'm not talking about you know a family member or something, although it could be a family member, lots of crazy disputes that way. But you promise somebody something in business and has something to do with your business. And you say, for example, I'll give you 25% of my business if you do X, Y, and Z. And the other person says, I agree. If I do it in the next two months, you might have an oral contract depending on what state you're in and depending on what it is you promised. Again, if you promise to to sell your property, not likely in most states. But right. if you're selling your securities, 20% of your LLC,
0: you might. It's crazy. I literally, it's an eye opener for me. I have no idea. So I'm glad we talked about. It. Okay, real quick, because I I know I have to let you go, I wanted to ask how COVID has has either, you know, as it happened, with all the things that were going on and what you expect to happen once we reopen up, because, you know, there are these circumstances where people are furloughed. What does that even mean? Like some of these people are furloughed. They're not getting paid. They have no insurance. It's just like, yeah, we might bring you back. I don't know. Legally, it doesn't seem to, to mean anything. What happens with people that are taking home equipment from the companies to use it to work from home, the the security of that that data it's no longer within the premises of the company through their secured network I mean all of these crazy things that are gonna gonna open up as time goes on is is are you starting to see some of those effects or work on those types of cases or any of that sort of stuff sure I mean your question we could
1: spend another hour I know I know because <laughs> it, it involved so many different things right IP individuals coming back from uh, furlough and so forth. So uh, just as a general matter, COVID, um, obviously a lot of people are working at home. And so um, all, all those things that you just uh, talked about, are we get calls about both from the individual side and from the company side as well, because the IP sitting at home um, uh, or on somebody's computer, you, uh, not in the location, because they're working at home. All of these things are really critical um, and they've happened um, since COVID shut down and now, What I'd say about coming back is some of those businesses are wanting everybody back and people don't want to come back yet. So that's a big problem. On the other hand, some of the businesses want to keep people at home. um, They're like, okay, it worked really well. Let's keep it at home. They don't need to be in an office, lower overhead. And um, actually, sometimes they realize there's more efficiency of work because there aren't anybody to talk to when you're at the house. (laughs) Um, So it goes both ways. And then there are issues about how to come back from COVID uh, and what to do. So we've literally had calls. And, and given advice on, on many of the things that you just discussed. And they're completely different, right? They're just issues that came up that nobody ever thought about um, um, before. I mean, they always thought about one, and they thought about them, but it didn't happen. didn't happen like a whole country got stuck at home and now there are, all, there are all these issues. So happy to talk to you, Marna, in another podcast. I know we're coming to the end about it. But yeah. that, you just raised like so many issues in one
0: question. Um, yeah, I know. it's a, it's, And I was just... And for the listeners, IP means intellectual property. So I just want to make sure they understand what we're talking about when we're talking about that. Um, but yeah, we, it could, I'm sure it could be an hour long just talking about it. Real quick, were any new laws created uh, because of COVID 19 and all of that? Have you dealt with new laws? Oh, yeah, there's a huge number. I mean, for example, the stimulus
1: package that happened because of new laws, right? So there are other other laws associated with that. There's been a whole bunch. The legislatures, you know, have done done various things, but the,
0: there's been three stimulus packages. That's just a one example. Yeah. Yep. OK, perfect. Can you do me a favor and show the book again? Even CEOs get fired. Even it's CEOs a get fired. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. So if you, uh, if you
1: type in even CEOs get fired separate words, like you're typing in the words of a book, then you can get it, it'll come up on Amazon right away. Um, if you type in my name in the book, you know do a Google search, it'll come up. Um, you, it, the website is evenceosgetfired.com, but it's one word. You'd have to type it all together, there's no spaces. So um, um, yeah, um, um, like I said, uh, I, I, it's a really breezy read. So I recommend it to you whether you're at the beach whether you're whether you're in the gym, like doing a bike, and you want to uh, you know uh, want something to read while you're or or or, or some and one of the other things at the gym, or mm-hmm. whether you're on holiday, um, it will not bore you at all. Like there's those fifty nine stories, if you add the two at the end, sixty one. <laughs> um,
0: I think you'll really enjoy the read. Perfect, Jotham. I really appreciate you coming on. It was a pleasure to meet you. It was a pleasure to talk about this. this is a subject that I have very little knowledge of and. Every time I get to meet someone like you and talk about something, this in-depth, it makes me feel like a better CEO, even though I, I probably should know more about this than I do, but I appreciate it very much. I wish you all the success with the book. I really look forward to reading it. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me on your show, Joe. You're welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. I know you have many options to listen to various podcasts and I'm honored that you chose to listen to mine. I would love it if you would rate my podcast five stars and write a nice review. It really helps to bring up the rankings of the podcast to other listeners. Once again, thank you so much for listening to The Joe Costello Show. I appreciate you very much.